Dissonance Media and the Other Stories presents Step into the abyss of After the Gloaming, a gothic fiction podcast that delves into the depths of human emotion. Unyielding love, revenge, internal struggles, and restless souls await you in nine haunting episodes where dread, fear, and rare glimpses of eerie happiness linger. Dare to listen on your favourite podcatcher? After the gloaming beckons, search now, but beware, innocence will be left behind. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. These aren't the stories your mother told you. No, these are the other stories. This spooky season, The Other Stories presents a series of specially cooked up Halloween tales with a new episode every day in the week leading up to October the 31st. Join British horror icon Emily Booth, face of the Horror Channel, as she hosts the Halloween Horrors of Old Mill Lane, one of our most ambitious audio productions to date, with stories from Andy Condwick Turner, Mike Garley, Jasmine Arch, John Crennan, and Ben Arrington. Starting on Sunday, the 25th of October, the episodes will premiere on Facebook and YouTube at 9 pm and appear on podcast feeds shortly after. However, today's episode is The Endless Voyage. Written by Vijay Varman and narrated by Persephone Rose. Amidst the din of bellowing trumpets and a cheering crowd, they christened me HMS Elizabeth, in honour of the Virgin Queen. A mighty name for a mighty galleon, with 800 tons of oak and pine, 116 guns, a crew of 247 souls, and three colossal masts reaching the heavens. I was the pride of the English fleet, but mere spectacle for the adoring mob in a time of peace was not the reason for my commission. My gargantuan holds were filled with the largest of cannonballs and the most volatile of gunpowder. I was a warship without a war. That, however, made little difference to my captain. A life of luxury and refinement had not mellowed him. He was a cruel master that saw little value in the lives of those who were not his countrymen. His most hateful streak was reserved for those who belonged to the Kingdom of Spain. Whether it be war or merchant ship, the moment a Spanish vessel was spotted on the horizon, the captain would cry, Beat to quarters! 
The rapid footsteps of the crew preparing themselves for the oncoming battle would pound against my wooden deck, their cries for more gunpowder echoing through the air as the helmsmen steered us alongside our opponents. Finally, as we could see the fear upon our enemies' faces, our guns would fire and bring the might of the English naval power to bear. Some of our valiant foe had the courage to fight back. Regrettably for them, our cannonballs were unstoppable, whether it be wood or flesh that lay in their path. Whether it took hours or minutes, all would eventually strike their colors. Though some may have surrendered with the expectation of mercy, their hopes were sadly misplaced. Even in victory, as the survivors begged for mercy, my captain could find no compassion. His voice would roar with delight as the sea dragged dozens of Spanish men and women down into its murky depths. That was my life for many a year, until one moonlit night in the cold of winter. Anchored in the Basque Sea, a Spanish merchant ship sat quietly, seemingly waiting for the morning light before setting sail for its native soil. And yet... Even without the assistance of the sun, the captain was determined to show his supremacy upon his Spanish foe. My guns were loaded, and soon the timbers of the merchant ship were consumed by an inferno. As silence returned to our surroundings, I nonetheless expected screams for help from any survivors. But there were none. Instead, a sole female figure stood upon the burning ship, Unmoving and soundless, she merely stared at us as her clothes caught fire and slowly engulfed her. The crew were mesmerized, and even the captain had been stunned into quietude. It seemed like she was bathing by the fires of hell itself. Was she human? I could not say with any certainty. But as her hair burned and her skin began to bubble, whispers of demon and witch swept through the crew. The blackness of her skin was soon obscured by the crimson of her blood, seeping from the orifices of her face at first, before drenching her womanly body. Her ship continued to sink, and, just before the gloomy depths of the ocean claimed her soul, she shrieked in the Spanish tongue, Death will never find you! As she sank beneath the waves, it was as if the Almighty himself had a great breath across the seas, extinguishing all the light from flame and moon. Darkness was the final reward for our victory. Come the morning light, the captain's bloodlust had clearly been sated as he declared we could return to England. With a swift wind behind us, we made the journey in good time, and our eyes were soon graced with the green hills of our motherland. Our good humour was soon supplanted by confusion as a strange fog started swirling around us. Thicker than any mist we had seen before, it swiftly descended upon my entire being. The view of the shoreline quickly disappeared, followed by the calls of birds and other sounds of the harbour. Minutes later, all that remained was an eerie silence. Though confused, there were none aboard that became anxious over this strange turn of weather. We were so close to shore that it was assumed the dock ships would come back into sight. 
But as the minutes ticked by, the lack of a homeland coming in view became increasingly concerning. It was only after an entire hour had passed that the fog finally lifted, revealing that there was nothing but ocean as far as the eye could see. Bewilderment swept through the crew. No one could explain what had happened. And despite the navigator insisting otherwise, the captain reasoned that we must have been blown off course in the fog. Our true position was quickly ascertained, and once more we set sail for home. It rapidly became apparent, though, that our predicament was due to something much greater than a simple stroke of bad weather. We could not approach land or another ship without encountering that unnerving cold mist. For days we sailed across the southern coast of England trying to make landfall. Plymouth, the Isle of Wight, Dover, all would disappear into a haze as we approached. Even the French port of Calais was out of our reach. Soon the captain declared that we would sail to the northern ports, but there was little change. Great Yarmouth, Liverpool, Swansea, approaching any of them would cause that damnable fog to fall upon us. With home no longer on the horizon, the crew began to lose faith in their purpose. Some came to believe that the Almighty had abandoned them for their sins against the Spanish, but most believed it was a curse set upon them by the burning witch. As weeks passed, the crew's fear of eternal damnation was soon combined by utter hatred towards the man who had placed them in this abysmal position. It was early morning when the first pistol shot was fired. The pounding of feet and screams of mutiny boomed throughout me. It soon took time for the crew to break down the door to the captain's cabin, but like the timbers on all those burning Spanish ships, the wood cracked and gave way to the inevitable. The captain screamed and begged for mercy as he was dragged up to the deck. His cries for forgiveness fell on deaf ears as he was thrown into the watery depths of the ocean. I tried to keep him in my sight as we sailed away, but soon his voice was lost among the waves as he joined the many souls he had jeered at over the years. If there was a confidence that casting off the captain would allow the witch to forgive us, then such optimism was ultimately futile. The delights of walking upon solid English soil still lay out of the crew's reach. As the weeks turned into months, the supplies of food and water petered out, but it made little difference. The crew's bellies were as empty as my hold, and yet hunger and thirst no longer took hold of their bodies. Over the next few years, we travelled further and further away from English land. Even if death was no longer a choice, hope was still held that freedom from the ocean prison was somewhere out there. The world was a big place after all. The crew's faith was strengthened one calm summer day when a voice called out from above, Man overboard! No one had fallen over the side, but the sailor manning the crow's nest nonetheless pointed out to sea. Faintly in the distance could be seen the outline of a human bobbing in the water. We were still too far to see if it was male or female, but the person was still much closer than any ship or land had ever been without the dreaded fog descending. As we sailed closer to the mysterious figure, 
Hope intensified as the skies remained clear and heavenly. Perhaps this person was going to be the saviour of this crew? We soon dropped anchor, the men rushing to the starboard side in order to retrieve the castaway. We quickly saw that he was male, but as his face became clearer, a hushed silence descended upon the crew. What we were seeing was impossible, a trick upon our adult minds. We had travelled tens of thousands of leagues, and the man staring up at us was the last man I, or any of the crew, could have expected. It was the captain. He had no longer looked like the commanding presence of our first few voyages, or even the well-groomed gentleman the crew had thrown into the ocean all those years ago. Now he was as naked as the day he was born, his modesty being covered by nothing more than a trail of seaweed. What could be seen of the captain's skin had tanned to appear as brown as my timbers. His hair was matted and wild, like a sheep that had seen too many winters. He made no attempt to call for help, nor endeavoured to get on board. He simply stared, as if trying to remember us from a long-forgotten dream. Though hatred for the captain had long since died out, no member of the crew could bring themselves to haul him aboard. All we did was watch in silence as the waves carried him to the horizon and into the unknown. If hope had been in short supply before the reappearance of the captain, then now it was all but lost. Seeing no end to their torture, some of the crew chose to hasten their demise through their own hand. A pistol to the temple, a rope around a neck, a hammer to the back of one's head, a knife into the heart. Alas, none of these attempts were fruitful. The curse, it seemed, was determined to prevent anyone meeting the sweet embrace of death. One by one, the crew accepted that there was only one escape. It was the navigator that took the first plunge, his slender frame splashing into the waters around us. There were no goodbyes or farewells. It was simply a man swimming into the unknown in the hopes he might see his wife and daughter again. From then on, Every few days I would hear a splash, confirming that yet another man had given into his despair and dived into the cold abyss. I don't know how long it took, but finally only the youngest crew member was left. Me. I can't remember the last time I saw a ship that looked like myself. Instead, I mostly see grand titans of metal navigating the seas with plumes of smoke blowing skywards. I've now spent most of my life hollow and alone. My joints creak with every sunrise, and I grow weary with every sunset. Yet I am not old or rotting, neither dilapidated or ruptured. I am as seaworthy as the day I was christened. But there is nothing left for me to do but sail, and so I do, silent and alone. No more footsteps echoing upon my timbers or cannonballs exploding from my guns. I am the ghost that sails the seven seas. I am the endless voyage. My 
hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Other Stories. The Endless Voyage was written by VJ Varman, narrated by Persephone Rose, edited by Duncan Muggerton, with music by Sferia and Tom Robson, and sound effects provided by freesound.org. VJ Varman is a writer from London, England, and he can be found on Twitter at, at @circleofcine, spelled C-I-N-E. Persephone Rose plans to live long enough with the help of cybernetic augmentations to travel to the stars and make extraterrestrial friends. When she isn't performing satanic rituals, she scrapes by as a writer and voice actor of things that are not always for the faint of heart. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can help support the show over at patreon.com forward slash hawk and cleaver. You can join our book club and movie club and chat about the podcast over at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash hawk and cleaver. T-shirts and mugs and posters are available at gumroad.com forward slash hawk and cleaver. The Other Stories is a production of the story studio Hawk and Cleaver and is brought to you on Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. That means don't change it, don't sell it, but by all means share the hell out of it. So, until next time. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. Warbyparker.com covered. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.